0: And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox.
1: Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is a real-life real estate investing, striving, fighting, working, sweating to be your public radio source of the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. Oh, there's some good stuff happening around the Cincinnati area in the real estate world over the next few weeks. Um, So much, in fact, that I'm just going to have to summarize it for you and then send you off to CincinnatiREA.com to find out more about it. This coming Saturday, that's the 24th, CincinnatiREA is hosting an all-day how-to-wholesale-properties workshop. Uh, Obviously locally based, detailed up-to-minute, all that stuff. Um, You can get an agenda for that at cincinnatiria.com the following uh not the following thursday two thursdays from now on the 6th of july uh is the first meeting for the month of july and it's i mentioned it this far ahead of time because it is real estate shark tank which means that members will have the opportunity to bring in deals that they would like to have funded or structured or partnered on in some way and have them reviewed by our sharks who are experienced investors lenders partners folks like that and um, one of the sharks may decide to participate in some way and give you the money that you need to do your deal so something to stick into the back of your mind if you've got an upcoming deal and you'd like to present it for funding that would be on july the 6th you do need to have that information to RIA by July the 5th so that the Sharks can have a look at it ahead of time. So uh, put that on your calendar. Also get more information about that at CincinnatiRIA.com as well. Today on Real Life Real Estate Investing, we are talking to a guy who is probably, he's he's what I would call a thought leader in the uh, industry of small real estate investing so single family homes that sort of thing um he's just one of those people who has really tons of experience uh put together a lot of systems and processes and procedures uh, has been through many up and down markets at this point in time since he bought his first property in 1978 Uh, His name is Dave Tilney, and he splits his time between Naples, Florida, and Colorado Springs, where he does most of his investing. He is the author of Hassle Free Property Management, and he is here today to tell us some things about how you can greatly ease the burden of managing your rental properties. Joining us from his home in Colorado Springs is David Tilney. David, welcome to Real Life Real Estate.
0: Hi, Venus. Nice to be here. Thank
1: you. And I'm glad to have you here. Um, This is actually the second interview we've done over the course of the last couple of years. And uh, if people recognize your voice, it's probably because they heard the one that we did on Master Leasing uh, a couple of years back. And that was a really interesting topic where you help people set up cash flow on other people's properties (laughs) by by master leasing them, and for folks who uh, want a reminder about how all that works, you can uh, go to our podcast at realliferealestate.com dot and just search for Tilney T I L N E Y, and you can uh, check out that uh, class as well. But uh, today we're going to talk about just some more down and dirty property management stuff. Because David, I was I was actually sort of thinking about this in the last in the last week or so. How incredibly fragmented the small real estate investment industry is in terms of there's like no accepted, there's no, there's no like agreed upon body of knowledge that we should all have. There's no agreed upon code of ethics. There's no, you ask a hundred people, you get a hundred opinions on how to do things. And the only, the only thing we can really, we can really kind of hang our hats on is make sure you're taking advice from folks who've actually done what they are talking about and you certainly have done an awful lot of it
0: well i have um, I, i'm one of these strange people that really likes property management um, or or tenant management as i prefer to call it i think you know too many landlords they have the whole wrong idea about the, their tenants by and large. They, they think that applicants and tenants lie, they trash properties, they sneak in pets and roommates, pay t- rent late if they pay it at all, or they bounce checks, they smoke in non smoking houses, camp out in properties, cause damage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think they really need to consider changing their paradigm, and they'll get very, very, very different results. Uh, You know, an individual a number of years ago wrote a book that dealt with um, assets and liabilities, and his definition between the two were assets pay you and liabilities eat you. Well, when I talk to a lot of real estate people and I ask them about their assets, they tell me about their houses and their multi-units and one thing and another, and I ask them if those those houses and, and other properties pay them when they're vacant. And the bottom line is, they don't. Their assets are their tenants, and they just don't understand that. That they need to understand that tenants are your biggest assets. I, I had a, a an individual I knew in the Ohio area that um, called me up, and he said, "You know, I have this real problem." And that I put a tenant in a property in six months, I can't keep them there more than about six months. And every time they move, I have a 5,000-balloon note that just came due in, in resurrecting the property. <laughs> and, and I think, really, as landlords, we need to understand that when something doesn't work with a tenant, is it the tenant's fault? Whose fault is it? It's ours. We hired the wrong guy to do the job. We didn't share expectations with him. Their moral code was wrong. Something in our system didn't work, so that we got the right person to do the right job. You know, you can't have people move every every six months. Tenant turnover is a major concern for for landlords. You really want people to stay in your houses for five years, give or take, if you can. And my properties are in a military town, where you would expect there to be high turnover, but we're we're pretty much able to do that. We've seen a little more turnover in recent years. We find the millennial population uh, does not tend to put down roots quite to the same degree as as some of our older tenants, but um, we really do have a good time with our tenants, and our tenants, by and large, improve our properties over time.
1: Well, that is definitely a different experience than many landlords have, and I I hope that it's a it's a cheering message to all the folks who listen to real life real estate who on the one hand know that they need long term income producing assets. You can't just keep flipping properties for the rest of your life and expect to have expect to have, you know, a a wealthy, calm, peaceful retirement but who have avoided buying rentals because they have heard all the horror stories from the folks who have horror stories to tell
0: right so i think what landlords really ought to start how they ought to start out is they ought to ask themselves how many people on your radio show have been been a tenant and i dare say most of them have been a tenant and my next question is how many of them were bad tenants? And, and when I ask that in a group, I always get several hands that go up. But by and large, most people think they were pretty good tenants. And if that's the case, you need to learn how to find people who act much the way you acted when you were a tenant. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You can't discriminate illegally based on federal, state, or local fair housing laws. But you can and you must discriminate. Uh, People think discrimination is a bad word. It's not. You want to discriminate based on income. You want to discriminate based on credit. You want to discriminate based on employment stability. There's any number of things you do want to discriminate on, but you want to consistently treat everyone the same. You don't want to advertise the type of tenant you're looking for. You want to advertise the property you have. And, And you really need to work on... Why do you do what you do? How can you set up systems and procedures that will help you get different results than your competition?
1: And that is that exactly, yes, and that is exactly what we are going to talk about today. First, we need to take a quick break and also invite listeners to call, and especially especially you listeners who aren't having the... Good tenants who improve properties and stay for five years and pay their rent kind of experience. You might want to call and pick David's brain a little bit. You can do that at 877-772-9658, 877-772-9658. Or if it's more convenient for you, you can send an email. Just send it to askvena at gmail.com. That's askvena at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host Vina Jones Cox. My guest today is David Tilney. You can hook up with David at davidtilney.com. He's a very experienced landlord who's got some got some ideas that are a bit different than what you have heard and um, David, we were talking offline a little bit before the show about the fact that you 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 live in Naples, Florida for a big chunk of the year and you live in Colorado Springs as well, but you only invest in one of those two areas and it's probably not the one most people would have guessed. I think most people would be like, oh, I want to own properties in Naples because it's awesome. So explain to the listeners your reasoning for the Colorado Springs investments as opposed to the Naples ones.
0: Well, I moved to Colorado Springs in 1975, and I raised my family here. And so I spent a lot of time in Colorado Springs and developed networks, and I understand real estate in my market. Too often I find that people living in one area think the grass is greener someplace else. And it's really hard to know about all the grass, meaning all the properties and the extra uh, uh, periphery things that come along with the properties in another area naples florida for example is a very much a resort community and people are it just grows tremendously during the months of let's say january through march uh and the rest of the year most of those folks are snowbirds and they take off so for me to number one have folks live there long term meaning You know, our longest tenant was with us for 24 years and 10 months, and the next longest one, 18 years. For me to get those kind of uh, situations in that market, it just can't happen. If there are worker bees there that work on the white-collar housing, they come and go. They don't survive. But even if I had a decent property that was free and clear in Naples, I could spend six months of income just paying the property taxes and the insurance if I could get the insurance uh it is uh, you know right on the gulf of mexico and and so insurance is, is tougher there and more expensive Colorado springs is a different market it's a year round market people live and work here and 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 i know the market and i've got vendors that that will do what i ask them to do when i ask them to do it they can be out at the property at 6am and and property taxes are reasonable insurance is reasonable um, I always think it's better to become an expert wherever you are, rather than throw your money across state lines to some place you think looks better, but may not be better. I mean, there are certain parts of the country where rents are, are, are a very high percentage to, to the value of the property, like Buffalo, New York, or Jackson, Mississippi, or some such places, and yet they may not appreciate. And other places like well, like Naples or, or San Diego or some of those places may not have cash flow, but they do have appreciation. Learn to deal with the properties where you are and take the benefits that you can from them. Would be my advice. hmm
1: mm-hmm. And and it it is uh, so important to pay attention to things like like costs of real estate taxes and insurance because uh, I was I was actually looking at. Um, some properties here, here in Cincinnati, in Hamilton County, Ohio, and then some in the next county north uh, in Butler County. And a property renting for the same amount was actually going to end up cash flowing almost $1,000 a year more in Butler County because the taxes are lower there. <laughs> and that actually makes quite a large difference in um, the value of the property and, of course, your uh experience as of it being a profitable property. All right, David, I want to uh, get into some of the things that I know, I know about you and your business that listeners maybe don't know. And I want to find out how you do them. Okay. First of all, you, you rarely, you rarely have economic vacancy in your units. You, you have like tenant moves out, new tenants ready to move in immediately where most people have a month or two where they're getting the place fixed up and advertising the unit and qualifying people and getting them in how how do you go from tenant to tenant to tenant with no downtime
0: well first of all i think houses and and houses are my primary market i've had multis but houses are made to have someone live in them you really need to have a good steward in the asset taking care of them. Funny things happen if they're vacant. So you really need to create systems so that you can accomplish that as best as possible. And just to give you some examples, in some parts of the country, if you have a vacancy in a house and you have air conditioning, you may lose your air conditioning compressor. When copper prices are high, uh, you may find someone rips the wiring out of your walls You can't afford to do that. You need someone there, a caretaker, taking care of that property and, of course, mowing the lawns and doing all of the other things that that are involved. So what do we do? Our existing tenants show our properties to all new applicants, And, and we motivate them to do that, and they hand out applications. And quite honestly, it's much better for someone other than yourself to sell the next applicant as to why they want to do business with you. So when our existing tenants are, are showing our properties, answering questions honestly uh, of the prospects that are looking at them and sharing with the prospects that we are good people to do business with, that helps a lot. And we do go from a tenant to a, to a tenant uh, the exact same day. It, you know, you think about it. Most people move out of a rental on the last day of the month. Most people move into a rental on the first day of the month. So if you are very good at doing your make readies, which is a, the time between one tenant and the next, paintings, uh, scrubbing up, and whatever you've got to do, and it takes you two or three days, how much rent have you lost? You've really, in many cases, lost one month. And one month, if you have a turnover every year, you can't afford to be in business and lose that month. Once every two years, you can't do that. You've got to set up systems so you can go from that tenant to the next tenant without the downtime. Mm-hmm
1: mm-hmm so but I you know I'm thinking I'm thinking there might be some stuff that you as the landlord would need to do between especially if you've got a tenant for five years it don't isn't there some delay where you fix the kitchen cabinet paint the place carpet the place to do something or are you literally like people are moving out and moving in on the same day
0: sure I mean that can happen but You see, our whole viewpoint of tenants is so different than most landlords. What we think we do when we put a tenant in a property is we're hiring an employee to do a job. And the employee is the tenant. And the number one job description that we share with them is we want them to maintain and improve the house and grounds. Secondarily, it's paid around on time, but that's a given. Thirdly, we want them to get along with the neighbors. Fourthly, and I look them in the eye and I say, I at least want you to stay until you die and hopefully until your kids die. And lastly, we want you to leave us alone. And what we pledge to do is treat you with respect and leave you alone unless you have a problem. And if you have a problem, when you pick up the phone and call us, we're Johnny on the spot. Now, so so what does that mean? What it means is that rather than a landlord-tenant relationship in constant conflict, we're looking to accomplish a lot of the same things. I want happy people in the best houses on the street, and they've made them the best houses. We haven't. Um, We will do major improvements when a tenant's in a house. We have many times taken out the wall between the living room and the kitchen to expand our properties and pulled out the kitchens and put in new kitchens when the tenants are there. We can't always do that. But we, we will go and, and talk to an existing tenant who we've done business with for a while and say, what would you like to have happen to this house you know, if Santa Claus came? And we'll, we'll plant the seed that wouldn't it be nice to have an open kitchen with an island in the middle? And they'll buy into that, and, and they'll allow us to disrupt their lifestyle for a month and a half. We'll still get paid rent all of that time. And if they move after that uh, the house looks that much better and if they stay it's given us a justification for a rent increase so we do a lot of things when tenants are in place
1: that is so that runs so counter to the way most rental housing providers think about I mean I've, I've had I've had landlords say well I'm gonna I'm gonna replace that roof as soon as the tenant moves so like something that big and important that realistically you can there's no problem put on a roof while a tenant's there. It's going to be noisy for a couple of days, but it's not like they, you know, can't live in the house while the roof's being put on. And you're doing interior capital improvements with the tenant walking around all the dust and the and the, uh, the work.
0: Well, the tenants want the same things you and I want in housing. I mean, if, if you want to update the windows, they're delighted to have you update their windows. It will keep their houses cooler in the summer and warmer in the winter. They don't mind that you're going to be doing it then. They see you putting capital into their properties. That, and and if they're in the middle of a rental contract or lease, their rent doesn't go up. So they're they're more than happy to accommodate. I've never had a problem in doing an improvement to a tenant's property when they're there. To tear up the inside of the house, well, you have to plant the seeds. You, you don't get everyone to agree to do that, but we've... we've certainly done it multiple times we in fact had a tenant do a 350 square foot addition on a house for us uh, and they drew up the plans got the permits the owners paid for materials but the tenants did all the work and it wasn't for the owner it was for them it increased their home they put in a, an Olympic sport size master bath with tub shower double sink skylight wood parquet flooring and you know built the cabinets and it was great we had to know they had the skill set but they had the desire, and it wasn't, again, for someone else. It was for them and for their lifestyle needs.
1: Do you feel like your somewhat spectacular success in keeping tenants for for an average of five years has to do with that extreme uh, sort of, responsiveness. I mean it's like it's like the opposite of the way a lot of people run their rentals where if the tenant isn't loudly complaining about something, they're never even going to go into the rental. And you're you're constantly looking at your rentals and saying, how do I how do I make this better because it will make my property more valuable and also because it will make the tenant want to stay and want to pay me more.
0: Well we clearly do things to rope what I would call the yearling tenant into a long-term relationship. Uh, and, and we, we you know, we set up some very specific things to kind of have that happen. But uh, I'm always looking at at my business rather than working in my business. I'm working on it, and I'm always asking myself why. Why do we do what we do, and is there anything that makes more sense? And I think you need to do that. For example, let me give you – on, on turning a yearling tenant into a multi-year tenant. The first-year tenants in the house, they haven't accumulated enough stuff they, they, to put down roots. You know, if, you give it, if I give you this image to just kind of think about, you've got a house with a two-car garage and a garage door opener on it. And the first thing you want to do is go in and hang a sign on the garage door opener saying, danger, high voltage, do not use. Why? Because you don't want them to put their cars in there, you want them to accumulate stuff. <laughs> the more stuff they've got, the less the chance that they'll move. Well, we sell our, our tenants on day one when they move into our houses a rent lock that guarantees their rent won't go up more than a certain percentage at the end of their first contract, which means if they don't stay, they lose what they paid for. It's one of the ways that will get them to be a second year tenant. Once they've been there for a couple of years, they're going to continue to stay unless they are moved by employment, they buy a house, or you've got a house that doesn't make sense for their family. We need houses that have a separate bathroom off the master bedroom so that when kids come along, the parents don't have to fight with the kids to get ready for work in the morning. Once they've stayed a couple of years, inertia sets in if you're treating people the way they'd like to be treated, Uh, and taking care of the property, then they'll tend to stay longer. Excellent. Does that make sense? Yes, excellent.
1: Very good. All right, so uh, we need to take another quick break. I want to, again, invite listeners. I know you've got questions. I know you're wondering, you know, how does he have these great relationships with his tenants? How do you do the same thing? Send us an email, askvena at gmail.com. That's askvena at gmail.com. Or you can just give us a call. The number is 877-772-9658. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Remember, you can always stay in touch with Real Life Real Estate at our website, realliferealestate.com. There's almost always some sort of cool offer there for uh, real life real estate investors like yourself um, today, that offer is a wholesaling quick start program for one dollar. Uh, it's a it's a kind of an a to z. This is what you do every week for the next six weeks to put a check in your pocket at the end of those six weeks, and it's a little. When you look at the site, it's a little confusing because it says wholesaling's quick start $329 and that's how much it normally would be. And then that's sort of crossed out and it kind of says a dollar, but that's all you're going to be charged is a dollar. That's the important thing. Ignore the $329. It's at realliferealestate.com. And, um, it's, uh, a nice little thing to, if you, if you kind of like you know basically what wholesaling is and you just can't seem to figure out what the steps are to actually doing it. There you go. RealLifeRealEstate.com $1 Wholesaling Quick Start Program. Um, Back to Dave Tilney, who we're talking today about managing rentals effectively so that not only do you have a good experience, but also of course, you have the thing that you came here for, which was the profit. And uh, we're starting to get some questions coming in at askvina at gmail.com. Uh, Dave, the first question that, that just came in is from Sarah in northern Kentucky. And Sarah says, I'm wondering what types of single-family homes Dave rents. Are they more expensive or less expensive? I'm just trying to get a visual on what sort of tenant actually improves properties.
0: Yeah, I have run the whole gamut. I mean, I've run the 800-square-foot houses, and I've run the 3,600-square-foot houses. Uh, I probably like least the high-end white-collar houses because there's too many moving parts, and uh, those folks, if they do lose a job, they send out resumes and money doesn't come in. Uh, My target market is probably high-end blue-collar low-end white-collar, that the, the individual with a champagne appetite and a beer pocketbook, uh, they can move into it and trap themselves. And the white-collar guy, if he has to come down in housing, he won't lose his self-esteem in the process. In Colorado Springs, uh, certain things that I require, I do need a two-car garage because it snows here. Uh, that's important to me. I want a three- or four-bedroom house. I do want a bathroom off the master bedroom. Um, That's pretty much it. Schools are important. Location's important. Uh, As I say, I've run the whole gamut. I mean, I've had fourplexes where my fourplex is the only one that's not boarded up in an area of town, and we've called it the oasis in the desert. So we've, we've had all of those various types of properties, but... I like single-family houses because you don't have noises and smells from people above you or below you or other people's pets causing a problem. And I find that it's the only piece of real estate that comes complete with an on-site resident manager called tenant. If you hire the right guy to do the job, he can take both the inside and the outside and take your house and make it his home and and have pride in the inside and the outside. Multi-units and everything else you've got to supply services to, either plowing uh, parking lots or shoveling snow or, or cutting lawns or w- whatever it is. So hopefully I answered your question well mm-hmm. enough.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's exactly what Sarah was looking for. Um, okay. So let me flip back over to my email box here because there was a second email from another listener and unfortunately it's loading right now. So I'm going to, uh, ask you my next question while we wait for this to load. Um, tell me about your tenant screening process because you've got to be, you've got to be doing a pretty good job of screening people. If you're getting people who are both staying for a long time and also are good citizens and improving your property and all of that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, I think tenant screening is 90% of the business. Uh, And, you know, we did an eviction back in 1981, and we haven't done one since. Um, We check employment and income. Uh, And we go back five years. We do um, present and past landlords, and again, we go five years. We pull a standard credit report. Uh, We we diligently check the folks that we're going to be doing business with. Um, To me, for me personally, I like the credit, the FICO score is number one, because not only does it tell me, the individual's ability to pay their bills, but much more importantly, their willingness to pay their bills. And that doesn't mean, you know, and I'm not talking about, you can get decent FICO scores for folks in an 800-square-foot house uh, in an older part of town, because we, we certainly have over the years. Now, does that mean we've ever done business with someone with less than a perfect FICO score? Our policy procedure manual says of the things that we check. They have to. Uh, uh, two out of the three things have to come up positively, and there has to be a reason for whatever else is 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 not exemplary. Uh, so that's that's pretty much how we do our screening. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So
0: you But you know, one other comment on that is too often. I think landlords sell applicants as to why they should rent the house, and I think from a psychological standpoint, you need to turn that around and force all applicants to sell you as to why you should give them the keys to the castle. And so we'll do that. If we're not getting enough response, you know, when when we're advertising a property, if, if what we're trying to accomplish is hire someone to do a job and find the best employee, you don't want the only employee who applies for it to be forced to give it to them. You need multiple people. And, and the other thing we found, if you price your house, your property too high and you only have one people, one person apply, that person is generally appealing to your greed. And you'll find if you really scope them out, you know, they probably don't do everything they say they're going to do. Good folks don't have to pay above market rents. So number one, you've got to price your houses right. Number two, you've got to, I think, have a certain amount of pride in your properties yourself because you can't expect someone else to have pride in them if you don't. But that, that whole process of, of, um, of, of, first of all, presenting the properties and then screening the tenants for the job skill, we ask things in our applications, for example, uh, the skills that you've got, um, plumbing, roofing, appliance repair, other, toolboxes, tools you own, uh, those things are very important to us because we are hiring someone to move into our house and take care of it. And a house is very different from an apartment. And when something's wrong in an apartment, your tenant wants to call a number have someone wearing a uniform, carrying a toolbox, come down the hall in the next 30 minutes. The person in the house wants to be able to walk outside his front door, walk all the way around his house and say, get off my property. It's a different type of a living experience to live in a house over in an apartment and we screen for that difference.
1: Mhm. Mhm. All right, very good. Um <clears throat> so so to to just so I can have my own notes complete here the three big things you look at are credit score which means you must be pulling credit which a lot of landlords don't bother to do because they assume that their folks are going to have terrible credit so they don't want to pay to pull the credit. Um, and then also you said you look at employment and employment history. And what was, what was the third big one?
0: Present and past landlords.
1: Present and past landlords. And all right. the present
0: landlords, you don't know. They may be saying something good to get rid of them. But yes, we do all of those three things. We do them every time. And along with credit, we get, um, uh, criminal history, sexual predator, all of the, I, I pay for every possible screening tool that my credit company will give me. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. And it's also surgical. It's very quick. It's the fastest thing you can do is to pull the credit.
1: Very good. Uh, going to take one last quick break here and then we're going to come back and answer questions from listeners at 877 or at askvina at gmail.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. David Tilney is my guest today. David is the author of Hassle-Free Property Management, and you can hit him up at davidtilney.com if you want to know more. Uh, All right, David, got a question here from Pedro, who does not say uh, where he is writing from, but he says... I get the impression that maybe David's properties would be considered a little over for a typical rental property, and that is how he is getting such good tenants. Am I correct about that?
0: Perhaps some of them are. Um, you know, I, I, I think one of the things that landlords of single-family houses fail to do compared to investors in every other form of real estate is they don't quite realize what depreciation is all about. Uh, If you look at uh, hotels, commercial buildings, churches, you name it, any other piece of real estate, they know that depreciation is essentially set up as a sinking fund for two reasons. Number one, uh, things do wear out and need to be replaced. Sewer lines, furnaces, you name it. But they also, you have functional obsolescence. And so I see investors of single-family homes that buy houses that are, let's say, 10 years old. They hold them 30 years, and they wonder why they won't compete for good tenants down the road when they're competing with with other landlords that have newer chrome-and-glass vaulted-ceiling houses. It's a problem. I, I think you need to invest in your properties, or else you need to buy a house that's 10 years old and, and do as John Schaub would say, wait until it doubles in value, which in the old days used to be 10 to 12 years, and then you exchange it into another house that's only 10 years old so that you're constantly having something that, that the market accepts as being uh, uh, current enough to command decent rent. My game plan is that the properties I've got – I want to keep for my lifetime, and I want to pass them down to my kids. When I'm getting labor at no cost to improve them, and in many cases, I mean, I had a tenant this spring that sent me a a receipt. She spent over $500 on the yard. She was not asking for a reimbursement. My house was her home, and she knew it was her home and wanted to be there long term, so she put her own money into it to improve it. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that mindset. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Okay. a Question uh, just came in from Matt, and I this this sounds like a <laughs> this sounds like one of those questions. Like something's actually going on right now with Matt, and he is hoping you can tell him what to do about it. Uh, he says, "How does David view tenant applicants who were former homeowners but lost their house in a foreclosure, or perhaps have been through a recent bankruptcy?"
0: I like them. I like them. I I think our government sold a whole bunch of good folks the bad idea that they all had to buy houses. And so they all bought houses when it did not make economic sense. They lost them all. It destroyed these people. They were great tenants to begin with. They were bad homeowners. They're going to become great tenants again. And they're so fed up with the process that they'll probably be tenants for life. So I like those folks by and large.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Now that 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 does create a an issue for uh, it kind of it kind of goes away from our standard tenant screening, right? It because our standard tenant screening would well, be I need to call a landlord. Two out of the three. Ah.
0: Yeah, but it, it can. You know, I mean, if they've got good employment, good income, uh, you know, they they they're past tenants when they were tenants, and we go back five years, so oftentimes they were tenants back then. Uh, credit. You know, we 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 give ourselves some wiggle room in our policy procedure manual. You've got to be very careful that you don't write yourself into a corner and then you break your rules and all of a sudden you're guilty as charged for violating, you know, your own rules as to who you will accept and who you will not accept. You know, just to comment on that, every one of your listeners that's involved in the real estate business needs to write down their policy procedure as to how they consistently uh, approach all applicants for renting their properties and and that's very, very important. You've got to do that because then you'll be consistent in the way you treat all folks
1: mm-hmm. yeah, one hundred percent one hundred percent the the fair housing folks who come on the show from time to time <laughs> make make that point <laughs> that if you are ever accused of something because some sometimes, sometimes tenants don't understand why they got turned down for a property they wanted. And they jump to the conclusion right. that it was because of their membership in a protected class. And then they go and right. talk to the fair housing folks, and the fair housing folks come and talk to you. And if you have written policies, procedures, and systems, and records that say this guy got turned down because of X and this guy got turned down because of Y – Uh, It makes it makes their job, which is to prove that you did not, in fact, discriminate a lot easier.
0: Well, and it makes your job in protecting yourself a lot better, too, because, (laughs) you know, fair housing is one of the very few places in our society where you're deemed guilty until proven innocent. So you need to have all of that information as to how you deal with um, all of the various protected classes in a uniform fashion and that includes the latest rules on disparate impact.
1: Question here from JC in Las Vegas. He says, what is Dave's opinion of residential markets with typically short-term duration tenancies such as student housing, vacation rentals, etc.?
0: Yeah. I know it's a good business. It's just not my business. To me, it sounds like a job. My my situation is I'm essentially retired, certainly semi-retired. I have very few moving parts to my business. I collect all my rents in five minutes a month. I use ACH. I take the money out of my tenant's bank accounts. I've already set it up to come out the uh, last business day of this month. All of our rents are due before the first and, and so, you know, I take it out. If tenants owe me more, I take more. If they owe me less, I take less. I, I just don't have many moving parts. And the short-term business and the student business, there are more moving parts. You get a lot more income from student housing, but you also have more balloon notes that come due when people move. <laughs> uh, I have friends that are very, very good at that market and very successful. It's just not a market I play in mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. and there's certainly there's certainly room for um, you know different different opinions and different uh, preferences based on your resources as well as where you are in your life. you know I, I thought student rentals were great when I was just out of college because I really understood that <laughs> that market because I had just come out of it, and now I find it frustrating. To have to constantly deal with um, maintenance issues from kids who don't, who who have never had to maintain anything in their life, you know.
0: Yeah, another market that uh, would be appealing, you know, somewhat similar. You rent rooms to college kids. How about taking a house and renting it to uh, older age people that need care? by the room. I think people are very successful in doing that. It's just a market I'm not from, I haven't personally been involved in.
1: Okay, question just came in from Christy here in the Cincinnati area. She said, Dave just said a term that I'm not familiar with, ACH. Can he please explain that?
0: Sure. ACH stands for Automatic Clearinghouse. It's the way banks clear funds between them. So I will, you know, the, the Tenants, when they move into our properties, fill out a little form that we have that essentially says they agree to pay all charges they owe while they're in our properties, much like when you check into a hotel, you sign something very similar. I don't show that form to anyone, but that form gives me the right to take their rent right out of their bank account, and they give me their routing number and their account number, and I can both pull money from the account or push money to the account if I owe them funds. It's a very very way of doing business. you don't have to rely on the mail you don't have to rely on people coming to you to pay rent. It's a very very good way to do business.
1: If you could if you, you you you've not only been renting properties for a long time you've also been teaching people how to successfully manage properties for a very long time if you had one final piece of advice that you just find that a lot of people need a lot of people don't seem to something that a lot of people don't seem to know that you just wish you could kind of implant in the brains of every real-life real estate investor, what would that piece of advice be?
0: You know, I really want to change people's viewpoint of tenants. Change the paradigm. It changes everything if you do that. There, you know, most landlords do think tenants are liars. When they sign a lease with them, they essentially say, Sign here, press hard, read it later if you want, move into the house, sit in a chair, face the wall, and don't touch anything, and if you do anything wrong, here's how I'm going to beat you up. If you change your mindset and realize that these are the guys that produce value, they, they, they pay you income, and they maintain your house if you share expectations to, as to what you're looking for, um, that will just change most landlords' lives. I wrote something down the other day that I'll just read. It's not in its finalized format, but it just says, our company provides well-maintained houses for long-term occupancy that our tenants transform into homes. We know our greatest assets are our tenants, not the houses. And we reward good stewardship by giving occupants more discretion in making decisions about maintaining their home and by offering them stable rents over a relatively long term. That is the way we do business. We do raise rents every year, but we price our properties to the market and we price our tenants to the ideal tenant. And that's how we set the rents from one year to the next. We have a wonderful uh, time with them. And if you look at This business is so different than most businesses because you get to choose who you do business with. Unlike McDonald's, that has to deal with everyone who walks in the door. You also can do this into your 90s if you want to or however. it, It gives you interaction with people. It's a wonderful, wonderful business. Well, thank you so much,
1: David Tilney, for all of that great information. We are out of time, but we will definitely be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.